It is a physician's responsibility to recognize caregiver burden that can have adverse effect in a multi-dimensional way. Should we be directing more resources to this problem? I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. And with me today is Dr. Joanne Lin. Dr. Lin is director of the El Tarum Institute at the Center for Elder Care and Advanced Illness in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. In a recent JAMA article, you discussed the concept or the idea of caregiver burden. Could you tell me what that is? Being a caregiver to an adult with substantial illness is quite a challenge. It wears people out, uses up their funds, uses up their emotions, and often injures their backs and various other such challenges. So caregiver burden is the way to wrap all of that up and say, how burdened is this caregiver? And can this caregiver cope with what they're needing to do? Well, who are the caregivers that you're talking about? In the United States now, the typical caregiver is a woman in her late 40s or 50s who is taking care of her mother or father. There are a substantial number of spouse caregivers in old age, so there are lots of Medicare beneficiaries who are themselves caregivers to other Medicare beneficiaries, but it's most often still a woman, although men are increasingly taking up some of the caregiving, and very often people who are trying also to work and to raise children. And what are they asked to do? I mean, what is this burden, and what are some of the chores or skills they should have or are being asked to have? Well, if you look at books on home care for illness from 100 years ago, you'll see lots about how to keep a person warm and how to give a bath in a bed and how to make a soup that stays down and so forth. But now, I mean, we're asking people routinely to start and stop IVs, to handle catheters, to pass catheters and hook everything up, to give complicated medication regimens, to manage uh, dialysis, lots of transportation, taking people to different specialists for different tests and so forth. An awful lot of what we now ask a family member who may have had very little training at all to do is roughly the same as what we would ask a graduate nurse to do and probably even for the graduate nurse to make sure they knew this particular issue. More and more, it's uh, quite complicated stuff that's being asked. The economics have become more complicated. Two salaries to keep a family afloat has certainly changed from the time I was in medical school. Patients are living longer, and the families have become more dispersed. People who might have been a caregiver, a child, an adult child, now live far away. How is this affecting this whole dynamics? lived in the same community, first off, there were very few people who made it into old age and disability, and even then didn't live very long with it in general. But now, as you say, I mean, there are very few children. Most boomers had only a couple of kids at most, and they often are at a great distance away. It was also different to live on a farm, you know, where there was somebody around all the time, and uh, pretty easy to have enough room for, you know, grandpa to have a, a room. Now, you know, most people live in urban or suburban settings. Most don't have much extra room. So the whole setup is really gauged to make it very difficult to do family caregiving. And then we make it so hard because people have all these chores to do that are pretty complicated and require a certain sophistication about them. So you're asking you know, somebody maybe 70, 75 to take care of their 95-year-old mother, and they already have arthritis and back trouble and hearing and vision problems, and only finished high school 55 years ago. 
And right. you're really set up to have major challenges in family caregiving. You know, I have to admit I'm a retired internist, but my focus was always on the patient. And I have to admit that often I'm in my own mind, I didn't even identify who the caregiver was or ask them questions about themselves. What can we do as internists now or any physician to identify the caregiver? What should we know about the caregiver? Well, we should certainly know who it is. Sometimes, of course, it's more than one person. But it seems that every record involving an older and disabled person needs to have identified who it is who's providing the care and how to reach them. And if they aren't accompanying the patient when the doctor sees the patient, then they should be called and say, you know, so how's he really doing? You know, how's the patient really doing? And how are you doing? Are you coping with this? And which jobs are very hard? And which ones are doing okay? And, you know, do you need some help? Sometimes the help they need is just a neighbor to stop by and say hello. Caregiving gets to be very isolating. Sometimes the help they need is very specific, concrete help. You know, I really can't raise him in bed anymore, or I can't get him to the bathroom, and we're going to have to figure out some better ways to take care of this person. So we need to identify the caregiver, identify what it is the patient needs to have done, and make sure the caregiver really can manage to do those things over and over and over again. And we need a backup plan. So what are you going to do the first time that the caregiver gets the flu or sprains a wrist or, you know, in some other reason has to be unavailable. Is there a child who will fill in? Is there a standby home care service that you would get to know this uh, patient and family so they could smoothly take over? Or as so often happens, the person being taken care of becomes a hospital patient because the arrangements at home have fallen apart and they may become a hospital patient because they had a skin tear or because they fell We'll find some reason to get them in a hospital when there's no way to get them cared for at home. So a standby plan is often very useful. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And joining us today is Dr. Joanne Lynn, director of Al Tarum Institute at the Center for Elder Care and Advanced Illness in Washington, D.C., and we're discussing caregiver burden. You know, you talked about the caregiver And with all our concerns about privacy, how can you engage the caregiver, especially if he or she, which is most likely the case, is not even your patient? And very often you'll hear a caregiver say, I'm doing fine. It's almost a badge of honor that they can do everything and this is their job and they're going to continue to do it no matter what. People get into that sort of rut and Sometimes because they believe that this is what the society requires of us, especially a spouse. You're supposed to take care of each other in sickness and in health. And and you also sort of slide into it slowly. So, you know, you realize that two months ago you weren't doing quite this much, but now you are. And you're very sleepy and often busy all the time. It's really important that doctors recognize that things are getting to be overwhelming and really pull the caregiver aside and say, you really really need some help. You're going to end up hurting yourself or the patient or both. And either you need to pay for some help or we'll help you find help through Medicaid if you don't have enough money to pay for it. But you are burning the candle at both ends and this isn't going to work well. That's really hard to do because, you know, we kind of like not knowing. You know, we kind of like not having to figure out what to do here. But, you know, it leads to terrible outcomes for patients and for the spouse. The article you mentioned in JAMA was about a spouse who tried to kill herself 
getting so worn out and strung out. And she even had family nearby, but didn't really quite know how to reach out and use their help. So doctors should be doing more. It's okay to sometimes become involved in somebody who may not be your patient. In other words, to, I don't like to call, I don't think it's prying, but ask them how they're doing. Do they need help? There are agencies available. Doctors should be doing more. And you talk about the caregiver syndrome, or are they really invisible patients that are sitting there as caregivers? Could you describe that for me? The caregiver, who is often you know, sitting out in the waiting room, you know, not taking care of herself, she's not taking her medications on time, she hasn't been to the doctor in years, she's you know, working with injuries, so you know she sprained her back three weeks ago and certainly hasn't had any time off, and isn't eating particularly well, is up five times at night when the patient is crying out for help. Remember, half of the people over 85 will have dementia as part of their course. So you know, an awful lot of the caregiving is very frustrating caregiving. It isn't even as if the patient is able to say, you know, thank you so much or I love you, dear. But the patient may well be confusing the caregiver with various other people in his or her past and creating all manner of difficult behaviors. So it is amazing what the, the loyalty to a spouse will engender. I mean, people will do just the most remarkable things, but the doctor should be able to recognize that this is getting out of hand. You know, it does help to be able to do a home visit, see how the relationships are really are going when they're at home, see how isolated the caregiver is, see how close to tears she is. Maybe you know a neighbor you took care of at some other time and say, you know, so-and-so, you know, Mrs. Smith down the street had a very similar situation. I think she'd be sympathetic. How about if I give her a call and maybe she could stop by? And those sorts of things matter a lot, but you have to kind of be there to be in the middle of that. And our home care agencies are so often just doing what the Medicare coverage allows them to do, and the doctor's off in an office somewhere, and no one's seeing how people are actually living. You can, of course, send a home care social worker out to do an assessment. In more extreme cases, call in the local elder abuse neglect folks for an investigation, sometimes for the caregiver, saying that, you know, you believe that this caregiver is in a situation where she's really, and mostly it is she, is really ignoring her own needs and is self-neglecting, and the situation really urgently needs an assessment by a good social worker. Do you think the media, the social media, the TV, radio, newsprint, it's doing enough to identify this position. Certainly in Europe, they identify it entirely differently. But in our country, do you think we're giving enough attention to it? Of course not. I mean, we don't even have slots in our medical records for recording the caregiver. That's absolutely true. If you look at the new electronic record, it, they don't have any mention of this, like I say, invisible person. Isn't that amazing? I mean, yes. almost all of us are going to need someone to provide care, or maybe not almost all of us, but the average now is on the order of two to three years of self-care disability at the end of your life, and that's a long period of time. Pediatric chart, do you think you would ever not identify the parents? You know? I mean, and yet here we take care of this patient as if they were just sort of an atom out there. We don't write down their caregiver, we don't write down their surrogate decision maker, and those are absolutely key people. So we should certainly be writing that down. We should be knowing how they're doing. There are some pretty standard caregiver burden scales that you can use, but even just a gentle inquiry. You know, how are you doing? Are you 
really being able to cope? Are you getting any time away? Is anybody helping you? You know, it doesn't take a lot to express some concern. Are there some organizations that you could direct us to that might help our doctors that are listening to us? Yeah, the Caregiver Action Network is a good advocacy group for caregivers, has lots of policy advocacy as well as very practical help. The AARP website has a whole web area for caregiver issues. People can find lots of stories and connections there. Those two actually will link you to other groups as well that are working on caregiver issues. So those are good places to start. Are other developed countries really facing this problem differently? And isn't even our own VA system leading the way, different than other organizations in the United States? The VA has a remarkable new program, actually congressionally authorized, to help certain very badly injured veterans of recent wars to be able to stay at home by paying caregivers directly. The caregivers have to have done training and they have trained thousands of family caregivers in a really substantial training course. And once you have done the training and your veteran is sufficiently disabled, uh, they will pay a stipend for a family member to stay at home and take care of the veteran. They also require that any beneficiary in the veteran system that has an ADL dependency, an activity of daily living that they can't do themselves, that the chart is supposed to identify who the caregiver is and show evidence that there has been a conversation with the caregiver in which the caregiver understands that they're responsible for this and feels they can do it. They've had enough training, they've had enough support, they believe they can handle this issue. Those are really big steps forward. You must do a caregiver burden scale for people who fall into these categories. Obviously, also, the VA has a home-based primary care program out of every one of their VA centers now that takes people who are too sick to be trucked around to come into the clinic and sends the doctor, nurse, social worker, pharmacist, and so forth out to see the veteran. These programs are saving money. They are a delight to the patient and family and getting very good results. That is great. Rosalind Carter has mentioned in the past there are only four kinds of people in this world, those who have been caregivers, those who currently are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. And I think your introduction to this topic and getting us to think about it more than we have in the past is extremely helpful, and I really want to thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. This is Dr. Maurice Pickard, and if you've missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com to download this podcast and many others in this series. Thank you for listening.